Um, Paul gave me a pretty intense passage to go off of, uh, but I'm excited for it. And I want you to know that what I'm saying this morning, I don't have this dialed by any stretch of the imagination. And so we're going to walk through this together as a family and, and just see where the Lord leads us. And uh, so we're just going to kind of go into that now. In everyone's life, I feel like there's that person. There's that person that is always honest with you, even when it hurts. They'll speak the truth into your life, and they'll lay it on thick to really get their point across. And you walk away from that sometimes feeling beat up, sometimes feeling like anger towards that person. And after a while, you reflect on it, and it becomes pretty clear that what they spoke to you is truth about your life. And your anger towards them becomes this self-examination of, of who you are and where you're at. For that person in my life, it's my wife, which is always kind of interesting. If any of you have talked to Sarah for more than 10 minutes, you know she doesn't pull many punches. You pretty much always know what she's thinking and where you stand with her. Um, try living with that. <laughs> it keeps things interesting. But she's always honest to me. She always holds me accountable. And I always know that even in her harsh times when she speaks to me, I know she's saying it for no other reason than she wants me to grow closer with God. She wants my person to get better and be refined. Today, we're going to step into a conversation in Mark. You can open uh, page 845 in your Bible is where we're going to start. I'm going to read it through once, and I invite you just to listen. Let these words hit you. Let them sink in a little bit. And then we're going to step back and, and do a little background from there. So we're going to do uh, Mark 9, 42 to 50 this morning. It says, and this is Jesus speaking here. Whoever sins, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt is, has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. We hear some strong language in this passage. We hear Jesus talking about an excruciating death by drowning. We hear him referring to body parts and removing body parts, cutting things off. This is a blood and guts Jesus. This is Jesus moving out of G, skipping PG and PG-13 and going right to R. He's using graphic and extreme language with his disciples to drive home the, the corrosive effects in our life that sin will have. He's reiterating to us the importance 
that our life, our personal holiness, has an effect on more than just us, more than just who we are. It affects everyone. It affects those around us. It affects those who are watching us. And to really understand where this verse is coming from, we need to, we need to look at a few things. We need to remember that, first of all, to Jesus' disciples, he was that person. He was their teacher. He was the person that they were following, the person who had permission to speak into their lives, sometimes using graphic language, but always for the reason of personal holiness, for the sake of the gospel. So in this conversation, we, we enter into it, and Jesus is really laying it on about the temptations of sin in our life. And to gain a little bit more perspective into that, I think we need to go back to Mark 8 and start all the way at 31. And we're just going to kind of glaze through this a little bit. At, at 31, it talks about Jesus, or Jesus is talking about his death and his resurrection. So the, the disciples are hearing this. And uh, Peter reacts by saying, no, that, that's not going to happen. And Jesus pulls him aside and says, get behind me, Satan. This is the will of my Father. And after that, James and Peter and John and Jesus go up Mount Hermon. And those three disciples witness Jesus' transfiguration. They see him in all of his glory, shining, glowing on this mountain. And as they're coming down, they're talking and they're excited about what's to come and what's happening and what it means for their ministry. And they, they come upon the rest of the disciples with a boy who's been demon-possessed. And these disciples can't drive that demon out. And so Jesus, with a word of prayer, does just that. And he heals this boy. And again, after that, we hear Jesus talk of his death and his resurrection and what's to come. And after that conversation, the disciples and Jesus are walking. And on the way, they're, they're talking amongst themselves. And Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about back there? And he knew he, were talk- he was talking about not... His transfiguration, not what those three saw on the mountain, or that Jesus is going to die and be raised from the dead, or the way he healed that little boy, even though the disciples couldn't. They're talking about who among them is the greatest. Who among these twelve, you know, Jesus is telling us he's going to leave. So who's it going to be next? Who's going to take over this? Who's going to be our next rabbi, our next teacher? And after that, John brings up a time that that they saw someone casting out demons in Jesus' name and the disciples stopped that person because that person wasn't following them. And this is actually where we're going to pick up today's verse. Jesus' reply to John in that setting was, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And this is where we go into today's text. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown to the sea. Before this, Jesus is talking about servant leadership. When the great... When the disciples are talking about who's the greatest among them, Jesus' response isn't, 
well, it's John, obviously. Jesus' response is, whoever, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant to all. So we've heard Jesus introduce servant leadership. And then, when Jesus replies to John's story about the man who is casting out demons, he talks of uh, this responsibility we have to love everyone. Jesus throws wide the door. If anyone is not against us, he is for us. We're called to love anyone who is not outwardly against us. We're called to love everyone. As we get into verse 42, Jesus describes a pretty horrible way to die. He talks about having a a millstone hung around your neck. And this isn't a little rock. This is a huge stone getting tied around your neck and being thrown into the ocean. Sinking helplessly through the water as you struggle to get air, as your lungs burn for oxygen, as your surroundings go darker and darker and grow dimmer and dimmer. And finally, that stone hits the bottom of the ocean and you float there motionlessly. Not a pleasant thought. But Jesus is saying, you know, that, that's a horrible way to die. But what I'm telling you is this is a horrible way to live. If your life causes these little ones to sin, what a horrible way to live. And so it kind of begs the question, who are these little ones? Who are these little ones that Jesus is referring to? Is it children? Probably. He's probably talking about kids in this. But I think he he opens it wider than that. Jesus is talking about new believers. He's talking about young believers. He could be talking about those people who plant their butts in seats a lot like this, Sunday after Sunday. And here's someone maybe a little bit more eloquent than me, give the word, and they walk out of church, and then they go back to their regular life, and they haven't really let the gospel hit them. They haven't let it infiltrate their being. They haven't really fully accepted what Jesus has done for us. And we as believers have a responsibility to protect these little ones. There's an importance of our own life being one of purity. We have to remember that a life that pleases God is the one that follows Him in purity. For our life to please God, we need to constantly be purifying and refining it. And it's more important than just being a moral person. It's more important than just putting on that face on Sunday morning. It's important because what you do, who you are, affects who's sitting next to you this morning. It affects who you work with on Monday. It affects who you talk to on Wednesday on the train, on your commute. And in this passage, the phrase cause to sin, the word that Jesus used is where we get our word scandalize or to stumble. For us to cause one of these little ones to sin causes them to stumble. It scandalizes who they are because of our actions, because of 
our choices. So what is sin? If we're called to live a life that doesn't cause someone else to sin, we need to recognize what sin is. For me, sin is anything in our lives that we prioritize to a higher level than that of our relationship with God. There should be nothing above that. Sin is what keeps us separated from God. It's those small wedges that can gain a foothold so easily in our life that we get entangled and caught up and so worried about this thing or this person or this action that it's been five days and we haven't cracked open the Bible. Or we haven't intentionally sat down to pray or to be still. It's what you talk about daily. Do you talk about, are you, do you get more excited about your last vacation than you do about what God's doing in your life when you have conversations with people? Do you get more excited than about that newest toy that you bought? About what you do at work? About how much money you have in your bank account? than you do about your spiritual holiness, your personal holiness. We're going to read on. Verse 43 to 48. Jesus continues, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet be thrown to hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus continues with that extreme language. He continues talking graphically about removing sin from our life. Jesus is talking in hyperbole here. And hyperbole is using the use of exaggeration to punctuate your point. Jesus lays it on thick here. He's not talking about physical mutilation. What Jesus is referring to here is spiritual mortification. He doesn't want you to physically remove your hand. He does want you to drastically and take seriously action to remove sin from your life. He's referring again to the constant refinement of our lives. And he's using body parts as examples of different types of sin, different ways that we can fall into sin in our life. Our hands. He uses our hands to represent what we do. How do you conduct business when you're at work? Are you honest when you take tests at school? In everything you do, are you making an honest effort for your life to reflect that of Christ? When you live your life, when you walk through your day, as people watch your actions, do your actions reflect Christ? Like Francis of Assisi said, everywhere you go, preach the gospel. And when necessary, use words. Are your actions 
on a daily basis preaching the gospel? And what about those things that we should be doing, but we choose not to? Those places you feel called, but maybe tend to shy away because it's uncomfortable? Because it might start awkward conversation or create an awkwardness in the room? Our feet, where we go, these are our daily traffic patterns. These are not necessarily physical places, but it could be. It's the internet. When you're online, do you gravitate towards websites that could bring sin into your life? Be it pornography, be it excessive shopping, or be it simply a blatant waste of time? How many hours are you on Facebook every week? Guilty. In your life, are you pulling a Jonah? Do you feel called to serve someplace? Maybe it's at Roseland. Maybe it's in another city. Maybe it's right at home. But you shy away from that, again, because of the uncomfortableness. Because you're fearful of your personal safety. You're fearful of what people might think of you or say about you. So instead of going... You sit back. And eventually you get swallowed by a big fish. (laughs) Our eyes. What we see. What appears on your computer screen after everyone in your house has gone to bed or when you're alone in your dorm room or your apartment. Or what is that, that item, that thing that you just have to have whether it's, again, on a website or walking down Michigan Avenue in Chicago or up at the mall in Orland, that that thing that you desire, that consumes you, that you feel like until you have this next latest, greatest item, your life is just not going to be fulfilled. Snowboard, mountain bike, whatever it is. And if if you get to that point, if you attain that item, Do you even have time or take the time to enjoy it? Or are you already looking for that next thing? Are you already looking down the road for what you might be able to get that's going to fulfill you? But it never quite does. What about what you're not looking at? What would our lives look like if we flip-flopped how often we're in the Bible and how often we're on Facebook? Or how often we turn on the TV? What kind of change do you think could happen for yourself in your own personal holiness, for this community of Missio Dei, for the place that you work, for your family, if we intentionally let our eyes to the Bible? You know, it's all about where you train your eyes to go. And if you're training them to go to places that make it difficult for you To not sin, your life is going to be difficult. But if you're training them to look toward Jesus, we have his word right here. Easily accessible. And in this passage, Jesus refers to our body parts, to our hands, to our feet, to our eyes. When you tie that to sin, 
No one else in your life causes you to sin. It's a choice that you make. It's our choice. Sin doesn't often just happen to people. Rather, sin is a choice that we make. It's an output from what we choose to take in. And these things that we take in aren't necessarily sin. Nakedness isn't a sin. Shopping isn't a sin. Snowboarding, Facebook, jogging, whatever it is. Those things aren't necessarily sin. It's what we do with them. It's to what level of priority in, we life, in life we give them. Here Jesus is saying, for your sake, for the sake of these little ones, these young believers, these new to the faith, for the sake of the gospel, don't let these things become sin in your life. Take drastic action. He's not talking about skirting around the issue or, again, putting on that Sunday face or that church friend face or pretending it it just doesn't exist in your life or in others' lives. He's saying recognize that sin and take drastic action to cut it out of your life. If you abuse the Internet, cancel DSL. What would that look like? If you find that after work it's easier to plant your couch, your butt on the couch and turn on TV for three hours, or if it's more important you to catch a TV show than to come to leadership community, to take a Monday night and go serve at Strong Tower in Roseland, unplug your TiVo. Cancel your cable. If you can't get your spending under control, if you just have to have that next new item, and you can't help but spend that money, Cut up your credit cards. Enroll in financial peace. Take some actions in your life because it's a choice you have to make to cut this sin out. No one else here or anywhere can make that choice for you. But here we are a community that wants to come alongside you in that. We want to be a community that loves each other well. And we'll get to that a little bit more later. But it's important to cut that sin out of your life. To practice a little self-denial. To not maybe be the person that's up on every TV show and can have those conversations. Or that has the latest, greatest iPhone. Or that um, found what everyone is doing on Twitter. It's okay to not be that person if that's going to cause you to sin. When Jesus is talking about hell the unquenchable fire. He used the word Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place. And to the disciples, this would have painted an ugly picture. Gehenna was the Valley of Hinnom. And here pagans used to sacrifice children to their god, Malek. This was a rancid place. Not exactly a vacation destination. After the practice of, of uh, child sacrifice was banned, the Valley of Hinnom became Jerusalem's dumping ground. It became their landfill. And it burned. It burned day and night. Could you imagine that smell? The flames consumed. And for the disciples, 
the mention of Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom would have conjured a picture in their head of the future, the place of future eternal punishment. Jesus is saying it's better to let some of this stuff, this junk in your life go, to take drastic action to remove it, to remove yourself from it, than it is to enter the Valley of Hinnom, the unquenchable flame, hell, clinging to that sin. And as we read on, in verses 49 and 50, Jesus said, for everyone, who will be, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. And I love this. Be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So what's this salt that Jesus is talking about cutting off body parts and now he's talking about salt? What, what's going on? Jewish people, to Jewish people, salt was an extremely important element. Salt seasoned food. It preserved meat. And it was required to make sacrifices in the temple. When the Jewish people would bring their sacrifice to the temple, it would have to be salted. And here Jesus is saying to us, live your life with salt. Be that living sacrifice. Because it's important that your life reflect that of Jesus Christ. Because it's important for your own personal holiness. And it's important because these little ones are watching you. You have a responsibility. Be at peace with one another. I love how he closes this. He's talking about blood and guts. He's talking about removing your hands. He's talking about being drowned in excruciating death. And he closes this about the importance of removing sin from your life with be at peace with one another. For the sake of the gospel, our life is a life that needs to be lived above reproach. Not so that when people look at Andy Ratches, they can say, wow, Andy is a good guy. I really like Andy. He's got some high morals. Because Jesus was more than a moralistic teacher. We want our life to reflect Christ because he died on a cross for us. He made a sacrifice and he is our Lord and Savior. For our life to reflect that of Christ, we need to be more than good moral people. We need to be people that actively and sometimes to extreme lengths remove that which causes us to sin from our lives. So what does that mean for us? For the family of Missio Dei? What's our takeaway today? Hopefully it's not that you're going to go home and cut any body parts off. Instead, my prayer is that we would be a community that is constantly striving for just that. We would be a community that, that strives for our own personal holiness to reflect that of Jesus Christ, who is our ultimate example. 
My prayer is that I would be able to come to you and say, hey, I, other people, have recognized this junk in your life. And for your sake, you need to remove it. You need to make the choice to cut that sin out of your life. But I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I want to walk with you through that. If you have an issue with your credit card, with your checkbook, we have financial peace. If you're having issues at home, I'll meet with you. We're called to be a community that lives at peace with one another. Sometimes in spite of our own sin. Oftentimes in spite of our own sin. And I hope the same thing is true. I hope any of you would feel comfortable coming to me and saying, Nathan, I recognize this junk in your life. And I see how it's causing these people to stumble. It's caused me to stumble. You need to cut that out. And that my reaction at first might be how I react to Sarah sometimes. And it might be out of anger. But as you reflect on it and pray about it and take that to God, oftentimes you recognize the truth in that. And the importance of having someone who will come alongside you. And so who is that person in your life? Who is that person? Are they sitting next to you right now in church? Are they here in this building? Are they at home? Are they at work? Do you have a person like that that can hold you accountable? That you've given permission to speak harshly, bluntly, sometimes painfully into your life so that you can continue to live your life above reproach? I hope so. And I hope that we as a community can grow into that. That we are a community that does life together, even in the junk, even in the awkward times, even in the times where you start sweating and your heart rate increases just thinking about having to talk to this person about their junk. But that we would be true to the example of Christ and live our way, lives in a way that reflects that. And this morning, we're going to take communion together as a family. We're going to come to this table, and we're going to share in a meal. And I want to encourage you, before you think of coming to this table, to sit back, and do some self-examination. If you need to step out and make a phone call and have a conversation with someone that you are just at odds with, the door's right there. No one will be offended. If you need to sit in your chair and watch others as they take communion, if you need to sit in your chair with your head bowed, if you need to kneel, lay down, pray, take it to God. Use this time to reflect on your life as to what sin and junk that can easily entangle you. Because we all got it. Don't take this table lightly. And this is one time at Missio Day that you'll hear, if, if you are still wondering about this whole Jesus thing, if you're not really sure what it means to have Jesus in your heart or to know him as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to sit back in the chair as well and watch. Watch the family come up 
and share this meal together. That night, Jesus, with his disciples, picked up the bread and he broke it. He said, this bread is my body that is broken for you. Anytime, not just on Sunday mornings, anytime you eat of it, think of me. And in the same way, he took the wine and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you as a new covenant. Anytime you drink of it, remember me. Would those serving communion come forward? There'll be two stations on my, one on my left, one on my right, for you to come and take communion this morning. The way we do communion here at Missio Day is by way of intinction, which means you'll come up, you'll take a piece of bread, the body of Christ, you'll dip it in the juice, the blood of Christ, and then you'll eat it. There's no rush. Take your time. Let this sit on you for a little bit. And when you're ready, come, for all things are prepared.